This is M.I.P. With Masamela Mafumo. Mark Thompson. Get woke. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Once again, let's give a round of applause to Ms. Pamela Walker, Jalen Walker's mom, who's seated right down here in front. And she's here so that we might lift up her son and his memory, and we might organize on this MLK JFJ weekend. Amen? We have an esteemed panel. I'm going to introduce the panelists, and then we're going to bring up on the screen a very special guest who's going to have some opening remarks, but is, is not here in the hall. But through the, this virtual environment we all live in, we can still have people here with us, and that is a, a good thing. Um, we'll begin to my immediate right and go down the road. My, he's, he's an elder of mine, and in many respects, uh, has become sort of a mentor, and we've shared a great deal in ministry just as, since we've gotten to know one another. We all know and love him as the bishop. Um, bishop Joey Johnson of Love and Justice Akron is here with us. Give him a round of applause. And just as soon as I said I'm going to start to my immediate right, someone else moves closer to my immediate right. Bless his heart. <laughs> We heard from him earlier, and he's one of the co-sponsors of this whole weekend, and particularly today, Reverend Raymond Green of Freedom Block. The Freedom Block. I understand this is the Akron City Council president. Amen. Amen. Margot Somerville, give her a round of applause. All right, and we also uh, have with us uh, Dr. Curtis Williams, and he is also a part of Minority Behavioral Health Group. Give him a round of applause as well. <laughs> Dr. Lathardis Goggins is the principal consultant at Applied Academic Solutions. Please give him a round of applause as well. And the operations coordinator of Love Akron and the lead pastor of the church located in Summit Lake Community, Pastor Lori Porter. Give her a round of applause, if you would. 
and to her right from the, we're going to talk about issue 10 and how that comes together, but they've gotten uh, off the ground in Cleveland with the Cleveland Police Commission. Pastor Kyle Early is a member of that commission. And we, again, want to involve our youth again. We want to hear from our youth. Our dear brother, Zombie, Kenneth Brooks, is here with us as well. Amen. Um, we're going to hear from our panelists, one who's a virtual part of the panel. He'll um, have a few opening remarks, and we'll hear from others. Um, one who I believe is continuing the unfinished work of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., picking up where he left off. Dr. King's last campaign was the Poor People's Campaign. Mm -hmm. And our next presenter has picked up that mantle. Who is fighting for the poor? Who is fighting against poverty? Much is not just that police violence is, well, poverty is violence, is a, is a form of violence, amen, in and of itself. But it's not just that police violence is committed against African Americans and other people of color. It also tends to be committed, and criminal injustices tend to be commit, committed disproportionately against the poor. And so we welcome now the founder of Repairs of the Breach and the leader of the Poor People's Campaign, Bishop William J. The second, Bishop Barber. Thank you so much, Mark, and to all of the brothers and sisters who are yet standing and fighting in Akron. I wanted to be there with you today. I couldn't, but I want to make a pledge right now that I would come not for any photo ops, but just to join and be with the people. Uh, if there's anything we can do uh, in this matter as we fight not only for the memory and the sanctity of life as it relates to Jalen Walker, but in general. And uh, I want to say that to all the clergy and others who are there, the young people in Akron, Mark, thank you for your powerful work and for the work you even do with repairs. You know, I'm so glad, Mark, you said one thing. You said police violence. Because it's not just violence when someone is murdered or killed by the police. We are also now coming up against when people are maimed and beaten and their lives are taken from them. Um, and I'm glad that you said poverty was violence. 700 people a day die from the realities of poverty. 700 a day, a quarter million a year. So systemic racism is violent. Uh, systemic poverty is violent. Ecological devastation is violent. Denial of health care is violent. I don't know if your audience knows, but 330,000 people died from the lack of health care during COVID. Not from catching COVID, but because when they caught COVID, they didn't have health care. Uh, uh, the, the, um, the war economy is violent. The false moral narrative religious nationalism is violent. And silence is violent. And so we really are in a moment that we have to decide and say to America, America, when are you going to decide violence no more and death no more? Now, you asked me to kind of frame this conversation. I know about the legislation that you're working on, but and that's been you're fighting for in the wake of this just terrible, terrible uh, um, death and, and destruction of a life. You asked me to frame it a little bit in Dr. King's theology. First of all, I think it's important as you all gathered in Akron, I'm so glad you're doing it the way you're doing it, that Dr. King was killed because he pledged eternal dissatisfaction with justice. Hmm. Let's be real clear. Dr. King was taken out because he dared to challenge America's triple evils of racism, poverty, and militarism. 
Let us not forget that on the march on Washington in 63, there was an agenda. It wasn't just I have a dream. There was an agenda. The agenda had to do with a, a passing of a living wage, passing of a full civil rights act, uncompromised, health care, labor rights, and the end to police brutality. That was the agenda. Uh, so we cannot honor Dr. King if we remain silent and satisfied with our own injustices. And let us be clear, moral dissent that refuses to accept injustice is right in America and is right, right there in Akron. There is a need for ongoing activism and organizing. I know there's some waiting going on for the Bureau of Criminal Investigations finding in your community. But you can't wait in silence. Waiting in the Bible even it says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. The word wait in Hebrew means they that serve. They that stay active in the Lord. Like a waiter who waits on you when you when you get some food. They that wait. It's not a, a kind of sitting back waiting. You can't wait on an unjust system to deliver you justice. Uh, the world can't be silent after eight officers shot 90 plus times and their bullet struck their mark 46 times in a human being in the body of a young man, Jalen Walker, and caused his mother and his family and others to have to grieve unnecessarily. Now, you don't have to be violent, but you got to be vigilant. Uh, when, when Dr. King spoke at the March on Washington in 1963, he called the non-violent movement a marvelous new militancy. Militancy is not a bad word. What it means is you're going to be disciplined like an army. What it means is you're going to be consistent. What it means is you're not going to stop until the battle is won. Militancy doesn't have to mean that you're going to go eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But the marvelous new militancy of non-violence is, is that we're not going to be non-active. He, and he declared, even in 63, that there would not be a season of cooling off. Because some people say, well, after this march, y'all going to cool off, right? Dr. King like, uh-uh, don't you mistake this. And then when he went to Memphis, you know those words, Mark, you and I often talk about when he, the last night he was alive, people talk about, he said, I'm going to the mountaintop and I looked over. But that's not the first, what he said. What he said was to the folk in Memphis, nothing would be more tragic than for us to stop now. That's what he was saying. And so whenever we, the living, pause from our normal activities to remember a martyr. Remember, you all are remembering a martyr today. You're not celebrate. You don't celebrate martyrs. You may celebrate what they did. But the only way you can join with a martyr or a prophet is to pick up what they left off and keep doing. It's our duty when you remember a martyr to recall why they did what they did and then decide that we're going to keep going and not quit. And let's be clear, Dr. King, and, and Mark, you and I have talked about, he did not simply lay down his life. He was assassinated, murdered, unarmed, with conspiracy activity going on. The gunman who took him down on that balcony of the Lorraine Motel took his life for him, and that gunman had access because they removed the police from the protective services, and they took him away from us. But their unjust taking does not diminish Dr. King's decision to take up his cross and follow the way of nonviolent but love. But nonviolent love is never non-action. It is always vigilant. It's always strong. 
is always telling the truth. It's willing to put his body on the line. And he decided long before Memphis that he was willing to die for justice. And we honor him and his moral commitment. We can't just celebrate it. We got to honor him and continue. Now, lastly, when Dr. King did not die, he didn't die because he was a part of a movement that won crucial victories, citywide desegregation. He didn't die just because of the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. He died because he said that's not enough. <laughs> that's why he was killed. He was killed and murdered because he refused to accept a little teeny bit of justice. A little teeny bit. He, he said, okay, we've done that, but that's not dealing with the whole matter. He said that he, he, he didn't like the word compromise when it meant compromising with a lie. He decided he had to take on the deep parts of racism and militarism and poverty. And he was willing to say, I'm, you're not going to throw millions of people away on my watch. And at the end of his life, he was still fighting. He was in a city like Akron. He was in Memphis. He was in a place where the cameras hadn't come and folk were ignoring sanitation workers. And he went there. Now, your community must be ever united. I come out of the Moral Monday movement where we had to march and go to jail for four years to win. Y'all hear what I'm saying now? It took 1,200 people getting arrested, clergy, investment, young people. We weren't violent, but we were vigilant. And we had to go to court. And we had to pass legislation. And we had to register votes. It was all, not some, four years, four years straight took to win. The community must be united and ever strong, demanding accountability and defense, not destruction of your community. And defense and not destruction of the lives of unarmed brothers and sisters like Jalen. Because whenever one of us suffers or is killed, the first call of the official is, now y'all be nonviolent. <laughs> y'all be cool. We, we, we're going to get this. First of all, if you were getting this, but wouldn't be being shot like this <laughs> if you were on top of it. So let's be clear. Don't, don't all of a sudden say you can fix it and you haven't fixed it before the death happened. If you'd fixed it, if you had made it clear that if an officer kills someone, they're going to be prosecuted for murder and lose their pension and lose their life, that would cause a whole lot of folk. But what many of them know is if we do this, we're going to get an un- sustained backing of the system, even if it means changing the fact and tearing down the person unarmed who was shot. So they say, be nonviolent, be nonviolent. You shot our boy 46, 48 times, and you want us to be nonviolent. Well, we always have been nonviolent, and we know how to be nonviolent. But we cannot let nonviolence be construed as non-action. What you need to say is to tell the police to stop being violent. And secondly, we cannot let the mother uh, suffer and the family alone. The mother cannot accept non-action. In fact, do you know in the Bible, and I'm closing, there's a scripture in Matthew, uh, Pam, um, that when Herod, a government official, was killing children, killing boys, killing unarmed children, this is a part of the Christmas story, that the Bible says that there was a sound that came up out of Rama. It was constant mourning, constant protesting, constant speaking the truth. Why? Because the Bible said, because Rachel would not stop mourning. She said, I refuse to be quiet because mm. my children 
are no more. And if that was right for the Bible in the days of Jesus 2,000 years ago, it was right for Jesus's and the boys that were killed as Herod was trying to destroy Jesus, it's right in the case of Jalen. We can't leave this mother family to stand by themselves because when you shoot down an unarmed black man or woman, you're shooting us down. You're shooting our dreams down. You're shooting our, our, our ability to walk down the street and believe we're going to be all right down. You're shooting our hopes down. You're causing our children to tremble when they just walk on the street. And we won't be silent anymore. And when it comes to telling the truth, standing for what's right, we can't take one step back. For the most part, black people and our white allies have always been nonviolent. But what we will not be and what we can never agree to is non-action, non-truth-telling, non-protesting, non-criticizing. No, our non-violent moral outcry must intensify and embolden and refuse to be quiet. Go tell the police to be non-violent. Don't keep telling us to be non-violent. We have a history of it. We know how. Because if you mean by being nonviolent, go home, stop protesting, be quiet, stop disturbing the peace. No, we got a right from God. Isaiah 58 says when stuff is going wrong, you're supposed to cry loud and spare not. The Constitution says we have a right to freedom of speech and protest for the redress of our grievances. So we cannot get jailer. And we cannot leave this mother, this family alone. So when it comes to telling the truth, standing for what's right, you all are saying today and we are saying with you across the nation, we won't take one step back. The hell with going home. Heaven tells us we got a right to speak up and cry loud and refuse to be sinning as long as any of our children any of our loved ones are being shot down or hurt in the street. No apathy. And we will not apologize for our moral outrage. God bless you. Bishop Barber, Bishop Barber, we thank him. I failed to mention the Martin Luther King Jr. Center for Nonviolence and Martin and Coretta Scott King Center for Nonviolence is honoring Bishop Barber tonight with one of his beloved community awards. So please give him a round for that, it's much deserved. Bishop, uh, Mrs. Walker, Pamela Walker is here and her daughter Jada, I know they're happy to hear from you and thank you for joining us. Okay, congratulations, Bishop Barber, and thank you for continuing the spirit of Dr. King. Yes, sir, yes, sir, thank you, all right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, um, we're gonna continue with, our, wasn't Bishop Barber strong? Amen. Uh, and we, we preach back and forth to each other sometimes. So, you know, I said something last night that he said today. So that's how we do. <laughs> and Bishop Joey and I, sometimes as preachers, you know, we steal stuff from each other too. Amen. Uh, amen. <laughs> so we do what we got to do. Uh, let's get into it. Reverend Ray. Yes, sir. Issue 10. First of all, again, congratulations on getting that done. <laughs> With the swiftness. With the swiftness. Um, so for those who don't know, and again, so we're streaming this all over the country, so a lot of people are just hearing about what's going on in Akron. Summarize issue 10. 
and, um, um, and each panelist, I'll ask some questions and we just want brief responses so we can go around a few times, but summarize it for everybody who's watching what it is and where it stands now. What's the process to implement? Um, issue 10 is a community-led legislation. Issue 10 is a community-led legislation um, that improves community police relations, um, implements more training for our police officers, um, institute an office of police auditor with the staff that can do investigations. Um, once the police investigation is over into police brutality um, or anything like that, um, and it was led by the community, the status of it now is <clears throat> it was voted on by 60% of the community, 62% of the community, 29,000 votes. So it is on the ballot currently. Um, if you're watching this at home or if you're sending your seats, you can go to the City of Akron website to put in an application to be on this oversight committee. Um, there's a committee that, that has been put together to do interviews and screen this process. Um, so that's where we're at right now. All right. Um, thank you. I want to stay with issue 10, so I may not go with the panelists directly in order. Um, the City Council President is with us. Thank you, um, um, Madam President, Honorable President. Um, you have a role in this process as it's being implemented and, and seeing to it that it's implemented, correct? Am I correct about That's that? Correct. Tell us tell us about that if you would. Thank you. Um, again, I just want to say congratulations to those who hit the streets. Again, as an elected official, you don't have to wait on your elected officials to get the job done, right? And in fact, we, we love to see people in the community who are getting the job done on themselves, right? And so that we can stand behind and beside to support those efforts. Mr. Green said just that. Um, within the next few weeks, we will be looking and reviewing applications so that we can seat the next Citizens Review Board here in the city of Akron. Again, the charter was very clear. The mayor will have three picks. Akron City Council will have six picks. Akron City Council will vote on all of those appointments. So again, we wanna make sure that we have a strong Citizens Review Board, so we're asking for all the right people, right? To sign up, put your name in the hat, to be a part to shape what the Citizens Review Board will look like uh, here in the city of Akron. All right, thank you. Um, Pastor Early, Cleveland is already out of the gate, so to speak, with something like this. Tell us about that. And are you all up and fully functioning? Is that in place? Yes, very true. Um, so just like what you just heard in the process of citizens coming together to put this on the ballot and vote for it, we did a charter amendment as well, um, which allows us to uh, form a commission that looks at police accountability, uh, policy, and we also have the final authority and or say when it comes to discipline of officers. And so in that- The final authority. The final authority, yes. Mm. Yes, yes. So, so I want to be clear, because a lot of things don't have, you all can decide whether to hire, fire, return to work, all of that? Absolutely, if an officer is disciplined um, and we feel that it's not right or we feel like it should be reinforced, then we make that final decision on whether or not that officer is disciplined. So if an officer is fired and um, the union tries to get their job back, they come before us, and if we uphold that, then that police officer is no longer allowed to be on the job. Um, you all get to oversee investigations? We get to oversee investigations. Also, um, when we look at policy, when you look at general policing orders, um, we are a part of that process as well. 
and this, but just give them a round of applause just for what they've done in Cleveland. And one of the other reasons is why this discussion is important because we've talked about the different reactions, haven't we today, folks, uh, from protests to power. But the real power a lot of times is doing the necessary work, which is not glamorous, we didn't get in the paper, yeah. putting these institutions in place mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with the, the teeth to have real accountability. Absolutely. And so we're talking about in Cleveland, you know, some cities only go so far as let's say investigation or civilian complaint review. But I mean, you all essentially yeah. are achieving oversight, real oversight. Absolutely. And looking at, you know, also just, you know, police and community relations as well. So even how that process is implemented. So what you talk about is having teeth in the game. We're no longer saying this is what we suggest. We're actually saying this is what needs to be done. Yeah, and why not? And why not, absolutely. I, I, I give you an example, Reverend Raymond. You, you all you know that the Defense Department of the United States has a Secretary of Defense, right? That person is a civilian purposely because, you know, the United States never wanted to be the kind of country, like a lot of countries do, where you can have someone in charge of the military who's a military and could overthrow the civilian elected leadership. So, Pascal Early and the commission overseeing that police problem, they are civilians mm -hmm. overseeing a non-civilian force. Mm -hmm. So, if that's good enough for the United States government, Absolutely. why shouldn't it be good enough for Cleveland and Akron and other cities? Amen? Amen. Amen. So, I think this, this, is, this is where we are. Um, um, Reverend Raymond, the... You all will, the, the, issue, the issue 10 commission will have some, um, and, and by the way, the, the bill and the legislation was known, it had Jalen Walker's name on it, didn't it? Jalen Walker legislation. And this commission will have, also have some investigatory power yes. and response. Will it have subpoena power as well? Yes, subpoena power, um, be able to prepare witnesses to come um, forward to um, interview officers, um, to do a thorough, full investigation. Wherever y'all watching around the country right now, I, I want you to hear this too, because we need this everywhere. The police violate our human rights every day in every city, and this is what we must do. Um, city Council unified, unified uh, Madam President, around this? They didn't have no choice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> but for the majority part, majority of council was supportive. Okay. So that's positive. And in and, and the process, so this passed legislation, and so it, it, once it passed on the ballot, it is effectively law, right? Yes. That's correct. All right, so we're just working out the details. Well, let's give them a round of applause for the work on issue 10. And we're gonna come back to that, and those of you who have questions on that. Now, uh, this is Power, Love, Justice, MLK, JFJ weekend. Um, there's trauma, uh, Bishop Joe, I was saying just before you came in. I don't live in Akron, but I'm traumatized. I mean, I'm, I, I mean, every time this happens, we all are traumatized in our grief as black people because when it happens to one of us, we feel it in all of us. Um, and so what is it that we can do about our trauma? What can we do to bring about healing? What can we do to bring about the love that Dr. King talked about? And most importantly, our, our love of ourselves. And we also know because uh, some people say, well, you can't talk about police crime and police violence unless you talk about black-on-black -black crime. Mm 
First of all, uh, I don't know about you all, but that's, I'm sure many of you will agree, though. I, I, I never liked that term, black on black crime, because no other community is referred to that way. Mm -hmm. Most right. people commit crime in their own neighborhood. Right. White folks commit crime in white neighborhood. <laughs> the, 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 the kid killed the students. What was that, Idaho? And all that. And even notice how that story has kind of been softened and romanticized some type of way. People commit crime in their own community. To say black on black crime, again, is that stereotype, is it not? Um, I'll come to you first, uh, Dr. Williams. Is that not that stereotype that convinces us that we are inherently violent, inherently criminal? And then that's why we have to keep saying nonviolence. We everybody in here nonviolent. But somebody wants to be able to say on the outside or ask the question, did they say they were gonna practice nonviolence? Uh, we don't have to pronounce that when we know that's what we're already doing, and that's not what we inherently are. But we wanted to also address in this um, uh, the other elephant in the community, so to speak. We know the violence we commit against each other. Um, so Dr. Williams, in terms of your opening remarks, and I'll, I'll, put, I'll put a thought out there and tell me if you think I'm totally off base. The police violence can beget the violence we commit against each other because police violence devalues and dehumanizes us, demoralizes us, and if we, if no one else in the world thinks we're any good, sometimes we internalize that and treat each other that way. Mm -hmm. Am I wrong about that? Yes, you're correct, you're correct. So, you know, when we talk about violence, it's, it's important to talk about it from a broad perspective, recognizing that most of our violence is actually perpetuated by institutional violence. And so as marginalized communities and communities that are identified as the most, and I say quote unquote, violent community, um, it's important to recognize when we're being labeled or when we are being uh, posted up in the media as being severely violent, for lack of better terms, um, but when, when this takes place, it allows police justification for their acts against us. So it's important that we don't fall to the propaganda of our children being the worst children on the planet. Mm -hmm. It's important that we continue to stand up on our children's behalf, although they had behaviors that weren't as, as morally um, sound as we would have liked them to be as their parents. It's important that we continue to recognize our children's beauty and not allow the, um, the colonized mind to determine our, the beauty of our children. That's why our sisters and brothers in the Caribbean want to leave the Commonwealth and take, well, first Queen Elizabeth, now they want to take King Charles. They were saying how our children pass around money with an image of a white person on it. Mm. And we gotta come out of that. Um, Dr. Goggins, um, um, your thoughts, and, and the, and I know you deal with rites of passage as well, so we're talking about our young people. Um, how, well, first of all, what is your thought on the relationship between the trauma of our young people seeing police violence perpetrated against them and violence that they see perpetrated against each other. I think just 
to, 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 to further go on what, what Dr. Williams has said, that we first have to context this thing in, in a, its proper case, right? That most people who get violent portrayed upon them in Akron or by other Akron folk. Most people who die in Ohio at the hands of murder or were murdered by somebody in Ohio. Most white folks are killed by other white folks. Most black folks are killed by other black folks. Most Goggins are gonna be killed by somebody related to them, mm. right? That is just the nature of human beings. But somehow or another, when it comes to us, it becomes a pathological something unique, right? So we have to understand the context in which that is being done. And it is done in such a fashion to one, rob us of our humanity. There is this social contract that allows the police initially was one, get our slaves back. Mm. Two, protect us from them. And the social contract was, we will portray violence on them on your behalf to protect you from them, right? So as we are then asking folks to do something different, you see people saying, well, they're, they're leaving the profession because it's not what I signed up for, basically, right? So, but that is the prevailing narrative that is heard. And our children who are educated by this society, who grow up in the society, that sees the, the various images of the society, pick up on that language as well. Mm -hmm. And so they know explicitly or implicitly that their lives are less than, mm. right? But we also have to ask the question as well. Behavior is always a communication. I behave a particular way because I feel something. Frustration, unsafe, mistrust. So anytime young people act out, if all we do is somehow or another pretend there's something inherently wrong with a child, and not ask what does this, this behavior communicates? Why would a child feel the need to take this onto themselves, act out this way? That's a question for us. So I forgot who said it, but no child came here cussing, fussing, doing all that kind of stuff. Mm. Any child that does that learned it from the people who were already here, mm. Mm. right? So in this conversation about violence, particularly the violence that we have in, with, that we see amongst our children in various contexts, be it school, community, those kinds of things, and we do, of course, have to deal with that immediate act. We also have to ask, rights ask us in terms of understanding it as a, a process and a model, not just as a program, what is the role of the community? What is it that allowed that to happen here amongst us? What was the role of the elders? What was the role of the, the family? What was the role of even peers that would allow that act to happen? And how do we heal and, and deal with that and address that? I think that's, that's also an important part of this conversation that we have to, to pay attention to. I, I want to come back to that too, the two of you in terms of how do we heal. 
um, and even the impact of violence committed against us and our bodies as black people, the impact that it has on young people. But then we also have, um, you know, the adults are, have some responsibility. I, I want to share something with you. It just came to mind as you all were talking about that. James Baldwin mm. went to um, do some investigative journalism during the Atlanta child murders, if everybody remembers that. Mm -hmm. And he was sent there on behalf of, believe it or not, Playboy magazine, because they had journalism in Playboy magazine in addition to other stuff. I don't know what that other stuff was, but <laughs> that's what I heard. Um, and he wrote an investigative piece which turned into a book about the Atlanta child murders, but the title of it was The Evidence of Things Not Seen. Mm -hmm. And in the opening of that article, he talked about the danger that the young people in the Atlanta area were in and some of the places these young people frequented even though it may have not been safe to go there. And he talked about why would these young people want to put themselves in danger or, or may even feel so reckless about their lives as if they didn't care what happened to them. And I'll never forget something he said. You all talked about what people learn before the kids get here, what the kids learn from us. They said that when we as parents and elders fail our black children, mm. our children seek death mm. and they have no alternative. When they feel and believe we're not there, and we've given up on them, mm. what else do they have to live for? And so, you know, because mm -hmm. you know, you, you've even had young people put themselves in a position to commit. We have more suicides now. Mm -hmm. We have suicides by cop. Bishop Joy, what, and, and you're in an, in an and those of us who are clergy, and particularly those of us who are pastoring, face this, this um, duality as well. Uh, du Bois would call it dual, irreconcilable strivings of double consciousness. We have congregants, and these are some of the parents, you know, I want to do something about what the police did to Jalen. I want to do something about violence. But we still need the police because these young people are killing us. It's, it's like almost a, a, a schizophrenia toward the system. What, what do we do about that, Bishop Joy? How do we reconcile that even? Well, I'm going to say two things. First, I think the, the conversation about nonviolence and nonviolent resistance we need to change the emphasis. We keep dealing with nonviolence and circling around nonviolence, but we're not dealing with the resistance. Mm. And Bishop Barber talked about that and gave any number of examples, but I think we're so brainwashed, we can't deal with resistance. Mm. And we don't know what King did. I went back and read because all we seem to know is about the, uh, is his speech. But I read about 2,000 pages of, of his writings and, and what he did. And so resistance is not weak. Resistance is not inaction. Resistance doesn't mean that nothing's going to happen. Resistance is very powerful. So I think that's part of the, the problem, uh, part of the, of, of the solution. But the other part of the solution is uh, someone said in the previous panel, people are afraid to go on the streets. People, I don't think they're afraid to go on the streets. I think they're apathetic and hopeless. Mm. They're not on the street because we have lost something in our community and that's what I'm starting to call relationship resourced resilience. Mm. Mm. We don't have the relationships in our community That's enough yeah. to serve one another 
to be able to move as a people. And so when we have these kind of things, the attendance tells you mm. what's going on. It's not that people uh, can't or they're afraid. They just don't have any hope mm. that anything is going to be done. And we don't have relationships strong enough anymore to say, you go into this thing today. In our community, when I grew up, I didn't get the choice of whether I went to church. Right, 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 right. Okay, my daddy said everything is going to church today, even the dog. <laughs> and so I just said, well, okay. I knew I couldn't beat my daddy. And, and today people feel they can. But my father told me he would hang me up by my thumbs. And I believed him. So I could see myself <laughs> hanging by my thumb. But we don't have that kind of, we don't have that same community. We need that. We must restore it. It's not, it's not about black on black crime. It's about relationship, resourced resilience. There are resources in our community that we are not taking advantage of. Mm. Resources that we have as a people mm -hmm. that I think we ought to take advantage of. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Um, speaking of that, too, Pastor Porter, um, what are your thoughts about how this community heals yet remains active simultaneously? And I want to show, I'm going to show you all something. Since Bishop Joy said that, it's interesting. If, how many of you were here last night? Okay. One empty seat in here. Which is good. That's fine. I mean, and JJ was great. But this was, was spiritual gospel music. So at some point, Pastor Porter, too, we got to, you know, do something about the disconnect between being high in the spirit. We had high church in here last night. Amen. And then, okay, that's it. Rather than realize everything that was said last night was for the purpose of leading to today and even beyond today. You know, we, you know this is Dr. King's day. This is his weekend, and we should be doing rather than just being entertained and e emotionalized. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, Bishop, powerful relationship resource. is everything. Great relationship, resource, resilience. Yeah. And, um, and I know that our, part of our question at this panel was where do we go from here? And I love that because um, the family throughout history has always been um, the greatest source and influence of every generation, at least it should be. There has been a great falling away. And in the county of Summit, the city of Akron, we are uh, blessed to have government officials and uh, county organizations that see the need that exists in our community because of all the trauma. Long before Jalen Walker, there was COVID. Long mm. before COVID, That's right. there was the breakdown of the family. And so, you know, we kind of have to look at the trauma that we've experienced in order to understand the grief that we are sitting in. And sometimes people think grief is uh, big mama died. No, grief is any unmet expectation. Mm. Mm. 
That's good. Wow. Any unmet expectation, mm. divorce. You work a job for 15 years and COVID comes and you get not laid off, not given a severance, but just let go. You lose your house, you lose your car, you lose your health. People are dying all around you. Mm. Trauma, grief. First of all, we have to be able to acknowledge what it is. Uh, my boss, Kent Boyd, often quotes someone, and I apologize that I don't know who the person is, but he says that pain that is not transformed will be transmitted. Pain transformed, pain not transformed will be transmitted. And so, um, you know, the Summit County ADM Board trained 17 uh, specialists in grief recovery last year. We took over 150 participants through the method, which is a evidence-based method, eight-week program, absolutely free. Participants had to pay nothing. Those that were trained paid nothing, three thousands and thousands of dollars spent to train people. And then in the middle of that, uh, we're, we're coming out of COVID and it's because they saw the results of COVID and the impact that it was having in black communities. And we didn't just train 17 specialists, but we trained 17 African-American specialists. Thanks to the ADM board. We turned around and wrote more grants and received more money. And so this year, uh, from, from July 1st of last year through June of this year, we will in fact facilitate 18 eight-week grief recovery method sessions, absolutely free of charge. What's the value? Well, the book, you get a free book. But then if you were to go through the institute and take this course uh, through any specialist, it would cost you to, to join a group the sum of anywhere up to six to $700. If you did it individually, up to the sum of 1600. And Summit County is offering that to the residents of our city in our county absolutely free. Where do we go from here? We gotta acknowledge our grief. We have to acknowledge our truth. We have, to, we have to resolve that we are sitting in pain. And if we don't do something with that pain, if we don't transform that pain, we will continue to see it transmitted. Amen. I'm gonna just stop there. No, that's powerful. Because <laughs> we often do think of grief as, as only loss mm -hmm. and death. Grief is any unmet expectation. I hope y'all are hearing that today. Can I just say this? Yeah, but there was a gal that came to our office Friday, and it goes back to what Bishop said. She's the great aunt. And she stood there in the office as she and two of her other family members, she was signing people up, calling them on the phone, saying, no, you need to take this course. And then, you know, I said, well, here, let me just give you six or seven books. <laughs> You decide who's coming. If they don't come, you can bring the books back, whatever you do. But she's now got a class that started today. Orientation's not too late. A class that started today, I think there are eight people from the same family because of this one great aunt, mm. sister, big mama, who said, listen, 
We got pain. And we've seen things happen to other people's families, but how many of you are like me? The things that happened over across the street never happened at your house, and now those things are visiting your house? Yeah. Mm. Brother Zombie, good to see you again. Um, talk to us about, or really, especially as a result of what happened to Jalen. Because I think another thing do, and we'll, we'll talk to the counselors about this as well. Sometimes we uh, suppress, ignore our pain. Some, it's happened so often, some of us are even numb to it. It's just because it's, it's, it's too overwhelming. You can't keep up with it and just trying to live everyday life and keep from catching COVID, as Pastor Porter said. Another, just in yesterday, another police killing. He's one on top of the other. Um, what is, what's the state of the young people here in Akron, what are they talking about? What are they saying? Is, is Jalen the foremost in mind or have, is there discouragement or demoralization because of what has happened? I think there's a, there's a healthy amount of both. In um, a lot of parts, um, a lot of people feel like there was inactivity or inaction by some of the older community members uh, so that, that does breed hopelessness when you feel like those who should stand up for you have not. Uh, those who, who you have certain expectations of, when they don't fulfill that expectation, as you said, there's a sense of grief. Uh, so not only did they witness like that type of tragedy, just some of the inaction was tragic. Um, but there's also hopefulness in the fact that um, a lot of people are, uh, new leaders are standing up. New leaders are uh, finding their voice and choosing to take action. Um, we did get issue 10 passed. That, that turnout, um, being a part of that, you, you know, over 7,000 signatures in, in that short amount of time, that lets you know, like, even though there is apprehensiveness, um, we haven't completely lost hope because I, I, I will at least sign this and see what happens. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's really, it's, it's kind of, an, it's, a, it's in a delicate place right now, I have to say. Mm -hmm. um, because we do, we would like to remain nonviolent. I mean, and that's what everybody wants to see. But at some point in time, when you feel devalued and when you've been let down and there is that amount of grief, um, and not the type of outlets that you might expect to find or hope to find, um, sometimes that does boil over. So I have been there trying to work vigilantly, trying to, you know, just let people know that we are working. Don't be hopeless, like get involved. Um, it's not over yet, so yeah. Are the young people aware of issue 10? Oh, yeah. and, and is that a source of, of hope and optimism? I mean, for the majority of the part, when the, the petitions, we had a lot of volunteers, but as far as Freedom Block goes, the majority of um, the canvassers that were doing the petitions were young people. So okay. we did get a lot of young people out. And I mean, there are a lot of young people who do have the information, but it's just not the way the media is. And, you know, we just don't see it. If you don't know the people, if you're not getting that by, via word of mouth, then you might not really know. Uh, so, yeah. Um, Rem Green. 
let our national audience know too about the, the demographics of issue 10, because you can get that, that pass with just black voters, right? No, I mean, this is Akron, Ohio. Uh, we only <laughs> make up 15% um, of Akron. Um, so this is a, you know, a lot of white people here. Um, and and I, when, we, when we talk about um, institutional racism, um, we, we tend to focus on black people. Um, but institutional racism is a barrier for white people, um, um, more so than black people. Um, black people are fighting to end um, institutional racism. And institutional racism is happening to white people because um, they don't think that it's affecting them. Um, they don't understand. Uh, we have created this dynamic in America uh, with race um, to avoid the class issue. Mm. Um, and they don't understand that this is mainly about class. Um, this is mainly about the, 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 the have and the have-nots. Um, and we, we, we associate the have-nots with black people, um, but the have-nots is anything or anybody that's not in the 1%, um, which means black or white. Um, and even the white elites um, in this city um, are well off financially, um, but can be murdered by the police, can lose their job, um, can be frozen out um, just because they're poor, um, just like black people. Um, so this was a community effort. This was um, unlikely allies joining together um, to make this city better. Um, and that's why it becomes important for us to continue to build, um, as we showed in the video earlier, continue to organize and continue to build. Um, and as, as the bishop just said, build relationships. Because until you build those relationships, you don't know that the same thing going on in my household is going on in your household. And now we can have a dialogue, no matter whether we're black or white, but we can have a dialogue about humanity. Um, and, and that's what the Freedom Block is able to do. Uh, we focus on black issues um, with the understanding um, that this is not about race, but about class. Um, so you come to our office, you see white people, black people, young people, um, older people, elders, um, because this is, this is more um, about class and about half or half not than it is about race. Okay. Um, just for everyone's information and those who are watching as well, Akron, Ohio, Issue 10, Police Oversight Board and Auditor Amendment named after Jalen Walker, this piece of legislation, this and I didn't realize this, I just looked at it, 61% of the vote, ladies and gentlemen, mm -hmm. voted yes, 61%, passed with 61% of the vote. So that, that, says, that says a lot about where this community is and the significance of, of this issue. Um, Madam, City Council President, what, what's, so what's the timetable to actually stand up this board? I do believe the date is February 24th uh, by the charter that we have to have this commission seated. Wow. And how many members will they have? So that's nine members. <clears throat> wow. And they're appointed by, again, so the mayor has three appointments, Akron City Council has six appointments, but you have to remember Akron City Council has to vote on all of those appointments. I see. So people come in, they'll be, they'll, people will have to be nominated and they'll have to pass the nomination. All that. Okay, I see, I see. I see. Um, Pastor Porter, well, let me do this first. Bishop Joy Johnson, you talked about resources and we appreciate your words and the way you frame that. Tell us 
about what you're doing with love and justice, because I wonder if that is also a template that people around the country listening. And, and I was able to go to one of them. I don't live here. Folks have been very welcoming to me, even though I'm a, I don't live here and I'm just a visitor, a stranger. Um, but I went to at least one of Love and Justice's gatherings. They're one of their early meetings, and Bishop Joy has been keeping me informed. Tell us about that and, and whether or not, or actually how Love and Justice is helping to implement the vision you just shared with us in terms of, of resource development and, and resource access. Thank you, sir. Um, Love and Justice Coalition is a broad-based clergy group that is attempting to have more of a singular or at least a united voice uh, when these kinds of things take place. And we are attempting to create these relationships and now most of the, a lot of the things that are going on right now are preparing for the Jalen Walker verdict and all of a sudden we're gonna wanna jump up and do something. And if we have not created those relationships, what we have a lot of times is just confusion. There are so many groups, there's so many people speaking, um, we're not sure who to listen to. So right. uh, we're trying to come together, uh, have, have discussions, um, map the resources, talk about those things so that we have more of a unified voice when any of these things take place, not just the shooting, but any uh, need in our community. Okay. Um, thank you uh, for that, and that's that's very important. They're, they're Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now, but I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around 200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. We're going to get some news, and I agree. We, you know, we're not just here to talk, folks. We want to follow up for the purpose of organizing and activism. And I think this community best be organized and prepared for whatever the decision is going to be, um, rather than just have everybody reacting individually. I mean, unity is something that um, we want to seek. Um, uh, Pastor Porter's eloquent words about grief. Um, Dr. Williams, is there not collective grief? So she talked about grief. A lot of us think about our individual grief, but there's collective grief we have as a people, a harm done to our people. And if there is collective grief, Dr. Williams, what do we do about that? What, what are you all doing to work? How do we, how do we dispatch grief counseling to the collective? So you're, you're absolutely right. Our people have a historical connection to grief, um, all the way down to our cellular level, right? We, we look at um, our, our medical conditions that are connected to grief, our hypertension, our heart concerns, and et cetera. Um, and so it's important to remember that because collectively, 
grief is omnipresent in our in our um, our culture is that we have to do things to bring it to balance meaning that in order to bring something to balance you have to put as much weight on the other end in order to bring it to balance and so when we're talking about grief we have to talk about love we have to talk about compassion we have to talk about a level of peace and making sure that we are executing enough daily interactions that we are getting our feel of that right because we are we are bombarded with with uh, challenges as a collective community as a whole and so when we are bombarded we have to make conscious efforts we have to make conscious efforts to develop and attend groups around the idea of the psychosocial stressors of our community we have to make sure that our families are equipped with um, uh, uh, Bishop Joey, uh, with resources, right? Human resources that that surrounds us and insulate us and allow us to be able to deal with all the socials, so, the social stressors as a collective community. All right. Can I just piggyback? Please, absolutely. I, I, I'm, and feel free did, to jump in, panelists, if you want to respond. He, well, he's did such a wonderful job with that, but. I want to just take us one step beyond because we've been talking about collective grief. We've not really talked much about, but collective trauma and the fact that we are traumatized, which inhibits learning and listening. But we haven't begun to talk yet about collective resilience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm stopping on purpose. Mm -hmm. Because we don't talk about that. We talk about all the issues, all the stuff. What about collective resilience? Mm -hmm. That if we got together and used the resources that we have, perhaps we could have some collective resilience. The impact of America upon us is far more than simply the external violence. It is the radical individualism that splits up the African notion of Ubuntu, mm -hmm. which will not allow us to be able to operate together. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. That's good. Yes, sir. That's good. Yes, yes. That's what's up. When we, when we, when we talk about resiliency, it's, it's, it's important to understand that we, we are from a, um, you know, we, we talk about all the oppression, we talk about all of the other things that come to us as a people and that we collectively have to deal with, but we're still here. Mm -hmm. and, and when we have to ask ourselves that question, why and how are we still here? It's about cultural resilience. We are embedded with a set of cultural values and beliefs that that, as, 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 as Bishop explained, is being dismantled. And it's important that we, we gain a greater understanding of these culture values and beliefs so that we can begin to pass on, educate, and infect our children with them so that individuals can begin to practice a level of resiliency that our ancestors had, right? They did more with less. Exactly. They did more with less. And we need programming such as rites of passage programming, such as grief programming, such as freedom block programming to actually promote that resilience through a cultural value system. Exactly. Please. See, yeah, so, so, you know, the buzzwords for a while have been trauma, right? Being trauma-informed. 
uh, and there's a, there's a scholar, Dr. Sean Jinwright. Uh, he talks about we, we go from trauma-informed. We should be informed. We should know that this is happening to be trauma-sensitive. What are some policies? What are some things that we have in place that is sensitive to the trauma that people are experiencing? What are some practices? What are some things that we do to actually recognize trauma exists? But he says we ought to move. Everything should be moving toward healing-centered, right? And at the core, one of his primary premises or primary tenets of being healing-centered is restoration of the identity, mm. right? So, so much of what I'm hearing is how do we come to know ourselves authentically? Because practicing that authentic, um, authentic identity development is healing. It, it meets the issue of unmet expectations, because so many of our expectations are being rooted looking at ourselves through someone else's eyes, right? So if we can come to understand ourselves for who we are, recognizing that even though this society has often tried to convince us of our inferiority, the, the fact that we're here, yeah. right, the fact that we're here means Resiliency means strength. The fact, and so many times our cultural connection to Africa is so strong, we may not even recognize it, but we still practice it. Right? right? Talking to preachers up here, y'all know when we're serious about something, we pray. If we're real serious, we're going to hold hands. If we're real, real serious, we form a circle around it. Right? That's all African. That's an African concept. And we do that inherently, and it's been a part of the resilience that allowed us to exist and practice humanity even through some of the most inhumane practices and time period. But it's also, again, you're talking about that perspective. The simple thing of knowing, you're talking about how we teach history and those kinds of things. Some of us, and I'm going to have a proud daddy moment here. My daughter was talking about uh, education. But a part of that is knowing the perspective in which we, we talk about it. Slavery is not something that we came from. It is something that we went through. Just that little bit of perspective tells you something existed before that couldn't be destroyed through and existed on the other side of it. And having that restoration of identity is healing is healing. So programs and processes that address the restoration of identity, authentic identity, that connects community in such fashion that we pull on the resources that exist and we have the perspective to, to name and to claim and to recognize the strength that is already there versus to the, the perspective of inferiority, deficiency, and what's wrong with you people. Yeah. Because the fact that we're here says we're doing something right. Yeah, amen, what amen. An what an understanding of self allows for you to love yourself. Mm -hmm. When we think about our biblical principles, mm. and the Bible teaches us that um, we ought to love our neighbors as ourselves. Um, but when you don't know yourself, you don't love yourself, you treat your neighbor from that place of non-love, mm -hmm. um, understanding that where this movement is going and where this movement needs to go um, is, is a revolutionary love. 
It is revolutionary to love. Um, it is so easy to hate. It is so easy to not like. Capitalism has formed this principle in our lives from the time that um, our country was took from under us, um, where Christopher Columbus claimed something that we were already here. Um, so when you go back to all of that and understand what Dr. Goggins is saying, as we went through slavery, slavery happened to us, slavery landed on us. We were not slaves. Right. We were scientists. We were doctors. We had self-knowledge, self-understanding, self-love. Um, in order to get to that place, we must be revolutionary in the way that we love one another. You are not my competition. You are my brother and my sister, and the more I lift you up, the more I am lifted up. Mm -hmm. yeah. The more I am lifted up, the more our community is lifted up. The more we don't see these things. And what happened is capitalism has allowed us to compete against each other for something that is not tangible, which is love. Mm. Mm -hmm. I, I just wrote a book on this. I'll give a shameless plug. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> the African-American struggle for identity. Mm -hmm. And I wrote the book because of young people who are leaving the church saying that Christianity is a white man's religion. Mm -hmm. Right. Not understanding that Christianity was in Africa 600 years before Islam came Lord on the scene. Mercy. They don't know that. They don't know the history. And so that's why they can't, uh, they're unable to be able to understand their identity. And what I do is talk about the, what, what I call Pentecostal motor behaviors that we lost mm -hmm. and that we've thrown away when we walk away from church. Mm -hmm. The, the, the uh, uh, ring dancing, the... Uh, call and response. Mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm. These are things that we are still doing in our church that actually come from Africa. Right. And if you go to certain places in Africa and, and attend a funeral, you think you was in the African American church mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because they're still doing some of the very same thing. But that's not known, mm -hmm. and because it's not known, we, we we have a breakdown in identity, and that's what we're starting, at least on this panel, to deal with in our community the breakdown in identity does not allow the relationship resource resilience to take place. We've got to rebuild our community, and I think the church is in a good place to do that if we would come back to the principles that made us uh, what we were in the first place. Amen, amen. Uh, but, but before I want to get to everybody, in the meantime, while we hear from others, and we'll continue back and forth, uh, those of you who have questions, uh, go ahead and line up at the mics. Go ahead and get in line now, okay? Go ahead. Who was next? I, I was just going to say, man, this is so amazing. We need like 20 hours here, right? <laughs> but the death of George Floyd, we started something called Connection um, versus Collision, the black and white conversation. Bishop was a part of many of those panels, and we did it virtually because we were in COVID and people were watching virtually. Um, and I said to my boss, I said, you know, okay, yeah, I'm going to do whatever my job requires, but if we're going to just come together, have these conversations, sing Kumbaya, <laughs> go back home, do what we've been doing, can I respectfully ask to be dismissed from this group? So we started something as, as a result of that called Next Steps. So it was like, you know, people will come and sometimes we had hundreds of people on that Zoom and on those live streaming events watching and listening to the panel talk about having the black and white conversation and then we did something else called Next Steps. And Next Steps 
turned into something that if you go to loveakron.org, you'll see um, there's the Jedi experience and uh, 25 people <laughs> out of all those hundreds, right? 25 black and white folks came together and said, you know what? We want to take the next step to put our money where our mouth is, to put action behind our words. And of those 25, probably 12 stayed intact and continued to function. We call them the Jedi Council today. We just started a new uh, group for this experience. It's not just coming together and having conversation, but it's building relationship, back to what Bishop, Bishop said, with one another. I said to a gal at our church one time when she said that another gal who was white, uh, she was black, she said, oh yeah, that's my friend. And I said, oh, you guys like go out and eat or hang out? She's like, no. I said, oh, y'all do things with your kids together? No. Y'all do coffee or something sometime? Hmm. We just go to church. I said, honey, that is not your friend. <laughs> so if you're white, right, and you have not invited me to your home, if your daughter or son gets married and you didn't invite me uh, to the wedding or to the bar mitzvah, we are not friends. So a lot of what we've been doing through our organization, but it is really, I love my job because I'm passionate about the work that we do in connecting, right? Um, but but if, if, if we're not, if, if we're gonna really see a difference, we do have to seek understanding, but we have to be willing to come together and build relationships that will really make a difference, not just today, but I'm thinking about my nine-year-old grandbaby and my three-month-old, my three-year-old, thank God, no three-month-old, but three-year-old grandson, and what is this world gonna look like for them long after I'm gone? And, and I'm just gonna say this, that in respect to what has already been said by all of the folks here, I keep hearing relationship, but I wanna encourage you that we have to start at home. Mm -hmm. We can offer all the programs we want to outside of uh, the home to our children, but if we don't get inside the home and parents don't take their rightful stand, we will see, we will not make the, the advances that we need to make until we get back home around the dinner table. I know it's a pain to have Sunday dinner because what happened to the matriarchs and the patriarchs? We got tired, we cute now, yeah, I can say it. I'm going to retire in just a couple of years. We tired now, but I had to say to my family, uh-uh, I'm not buying y'all nothing for Christmas. And don't nobody buy me nothing. Y'all buy it for y'all's kids. But here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you the gift of quality time with one another so you don't have to crawl over in the casket when somebody is gone because you will have invested the time to build meaningful relationships with one another. So it begins at home mm -hmm. and then it should, it should spread out to people that don't look like us so we can gain an understanding so that people don't walk around. Because some of them don't know that all white people are not bad and some white people don't know all black people are not bad. But that's only established when we come together and build meaningful relationships and that's where that connection versus collision the black and white conversation came from in my closing for the last time was that 75 percent of white people in a survey said that they did not have a meaningful relationship with a person of color mm. and bishop brought that to us and from that we sort of built this let's let's start working to seek understanding for our city 
so that we can thrive and we can grow together in love. Pastor, did you want to say? I thought you might want. No, I think I I'm gonna hold off. I might shift the conversation a little bit, so I don't. Wanna, Are you sure? Yeah, I'm positive. We'll we'll come back around because yeah, you, you don't have. Questions. Y'all don't have none of these problems in Cleveland, right? No, we have all these problems. <laughs> <laughs> all these problems. I do. I do think this though. Just I, I keep hearing that you know we're still here, and I do appreciate that, but I want to be here and be better, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I also think that <clears throat> help me, Lord. We as black folks, we beat ourselves up too much. We are doing the best we can with what we have. Mm -hmm. And we are still fighting systems and institutions that are built for us not to survive. Mm -hmm. And I think oftentimes we need to stop beating ourselves up and have that same fire and passion and desire to go tear down the systems mm -hmm. that exist whether they're ran by black or white people so that we can truly experience the freedom that we're supposed to have. Mm -hmm. And so to our people, you know, when you have a single mother who <clears throat> grows up without an example, she's doing the best that she can. When you got a black man who has to face system after system in order to just be a black man, he's doing the best that he can. So while we stand on the shoulders of our elders and we're you know, celebrating just being here. I think about the generation that comes after me. I want them to be better while they're here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So our job is to tear down the systems, not tear down our race. Not saying that's what we're doing on this panel. Right. Right. But I just want us to give ourselves more props for how you know, God has kept us in circumstances where we weren't even supposed to survive in the first place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We've got a couple of questions here. Sir, I saw you approach the mic first, please. Briefly, too, if you don't mind. In light of the historic uh, Poor People's Campaign and in the spirit of where do we go from here, uh, we discussed earlier how the economic system and we're fighting systems of capitalism pits people against each other and greed ends up taking over. So my question is, as far as what relationships can be built between business owners, labor forces, and the government, what resources can come about so we can build resilience and inevitably possibly shift whatever our economic system is so it's more equitable? I yield my time. I can hop in for a second. I think one of the things the, the movement is missing is money. Like we fight with everything, but we don't have the resources to go against those systems that exist. Right now, the biggest issue for issue 10 and even what we're going through in Cleveland is not banks, none of that. It's the union, mm. the police union, because they have more money than most of us have when we start talking about fighting systems. So when we talk about black business, when we talk about black institutions, we need to start developing our own political PACs, super PACs, so that we can pour unlimited money, just like they do, to fight the messaging that they put out there. The other thing that black businesses can do and, and institutions can do is support your local organizations. Stop just giving to the name of the organization because it's familiar. United Way ain't doing what Blo uh, Freedom Block is doing. So we gotta make sure that we pour into the movements that stand on the front grounds for us and then that allows us to have economic power which shifts a whole lot of conversation when you go on with money and not just the movement. Amen. I wanna piggyback on that because I think it's excellent. And 
while we, we were talking a little bit about how the families, the challenges of the family, um, there's some research that I just read that talks about the impact of the neighborhood, yeah. that maybe the family is so challenged it can't do what it needs to do, but the neighborhood has resources that may be able to lift up the family. And I wanna just challenge the notion, and nobody said this, I'm challenging because I think it's there, the notion that black folks don't have no money. Yes, um, sir. We got money. Yes, sir. It's a matter of what we won't do with our money. Right. Yes, sir. And whether yes, sir. we are willing to pool that money in any way. I've been, this has been an idea of mine for 30 years, and maybe it's not gonna happen in my time. Why don't we have our own bank? Mm. Right. We do. Where, where is it? One United. Uh, uh, one United. There's Greenwood Bank. There's uh, uh, One United is 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 a, a nationwide right. bank. Now right. in Akron, we used to have uh, what was that? Uh, um, Second Baptist had a, a credit union. So there should be yes, I hear you. But there, we have resources. To your point, uh, we spend. I think if Black folks collectively in this nation, we would be. Uh, number 11 in the world in all economies, that kind of a thing. But we spend roughly 2% of our money within our own uh, community. Uh, the black dollar circulates for less than a day in our own community, while other communities, the, that dollar will circulate for weeks, if right. not months. Uh, so to your point, if we could just go from two percent to four percent, yes, spend yes, our own sir. money, that would be, you know, when the when the COVID, when it's passing out the the uh, the relief checks to everybody, uh, just going from two percent to four percent would be like three or four times that amount of money just being yeah. infused into yeah. our yes. community. Yes. Yeah. And I think yeah. we really got to have a conversation about what we're trying to create um, when we talk about the business world and and combining all these entities together, um, we're, we're still talking about capitalism. Mm -hmm. um, and when we're talking about capitalism, the only way for capitalism to work is to take the identity of human beings. Um, so everything still goes back to who we are as a people. Mm -hmm. um, and before we can talk about who we are as a people, we gotta talk about who we are as a person, um, which goes back to that single mother, that single father that didn't know how do we invest into them to help them understand, not 40 years before now, or 50 years, but 100 years of what we had. Um, the Bible teaches us that um, your talents will make a way. Um, if, if we believe in the Bible and we believe that our talents will make a way, there is no competition. If there is no competition, there is no capitalism. If there is no capitalism, then we have resources. Resources don't become money. Resources become, I don't care that eggs is $5 a gallon because my neighbor got chickens in his right. yard and I'm gonna go to my neighbor. Um, and we, we're, we, we got to move away from this current system that we are to ultimately create a new system that's not capitalism and that requires discipline on our part um, to not be in a capitalistic system to where we're continuously competing each, with each other instead of using our talents to uplift our community. And then not only will we need have a bank to go to, the bank will be in our community. Because yeah. if I got to go to Fairlawn to get a loan, I don't care if it's a black or white bank, I'm not getting that loan because exactly. it's in Fairlawn and not West Akron mm. where I'm from. Mm -hmm. um, so we have to have a, a, a shift um, and not to beat up on our people, but to understand that our people have been cut off from our land. And when you cut off from your land, you don't understand who you are and the power that you have just in this room. Yeah. Right now, I believe if it's still happening, East Cleveland is for sale. This room should be buying East Cleveland 
to provide the resources for our community, not necessarily money. It's resources. Mm -hmm. And I've, that expands far more than money. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yes, briefly please. Um, so thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak in this space. Um, but so I'm, my, my, I'm, I'm Lumbee from North Carolina and these conversations around uh, generational trauma or collective trauma are very common, but the main thing that we have is that we will have elders having these conversations, but not really the youth. Um, so how do we bring like this conversation of collective trauma to the youth and, and, and the young people of Akron uh, so that it's not, just, uh, it's not just a conversation of what we could have done better in our lives, it's how we can fix the generational trauma and these, or bring about solutions and conversations uh, in Akron for our, our young people. Two things we gotta do. First thing, we gotta invite them into the space. And then we got to shut up. <laughs> it's too many times we, like we had two youth on this panel earlier, um, and, and, and I think they talked a total of 10 minutes. Um, we we got to shut up and get out the way. Um, and this goes back to capitalist mindset. We think we know everything. Um, and these kids have a better outlook on life than we do in a short amount of time being here. Um, so we have to be inviting. We have to love ourselves enough to shut up. Mm -hmm. I want to I piggyback on that. I think that's great. We got to get the young people at the table. Mm -hmm. They're not at the table. Yeah. And then we have to hear them when they get there. Mm -hmm. But I think there's something else that needs to be dealt with, and that is um, I do a lot of reading in, in a lot of different areas. And one of them is when we start looking at stuff like baby busters, baby boomers, mm -hmm. and what, that, that ain't black folks. <laughs> Mm. You ain't busting nothing, <laughs> and you ain't booming nothing. You're not, that's white folks. But well, we are the civil rights people. And the two things that I think have to happen, and they're very difficult. Number one, young people must be invited to the table. Mm -hmm. Number two, when they get to the table, they can't tear it down. Mm -hmm. Because it's important to the elders, that table's important. We have to learn how to work together. And we want to hear what they have to say, so I'm inviting young people to all of my tables because they haven't been there. We've been telling them what the solution is. Mm -hmm. This is what you ought to do. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now I have to have, hear you before we can work together to come to a solution. Yeah, that's the part of that, that mindset sift, but also goes back to that sense of love, right? So when I'm, when I'm comfortable with who I am, I can hear, I'm, I'm in a better place to be able to hear, right? Uh, and that's been one of the big shifts and some of the things, particularly my, my bailiwick book tends to be in, in, in education, but we are often quick to, to talk to students mm -hmm. or talk to young people and do things to young people and we're very slow to do things with Amen. young people, right? But just that simple switch in mindset but it goes back to one of my favorite folks, folks a lot of folks have been talking about James Baldwin. But his, one of my favorite quotes from him is, if I'm not the person you say that I am, you're not the person you think that you are. Mm. Right? So that, that when we are insecure with our own sense of who we are, it's hard for us to listen to someone tell us something different than what we already thought is the case. And we take it as a personal attack, and we tend to want to shut them away. But young people have a different perspective. They will call us out yeah. on the things that we should be providing them that they have not received. But at the same time, without those resources, because they're human, because it is 
something innate about that God has put in them to do, they will do the things that they feel necessary to do without the wisdom of the folks and how to do it. And then when they mess up, then we want to talk about them for the resources not doing it the way that we've not yet prepared them to do, right? So all of that, it has to be all of those things. We have to invite them, yes. We have to be listening to them, yes. Mm -hmm. But we also have to have the security in ourselves to be challenged by the work that needs to be done. Amen. I, was gonna I, add I just too. want to say one thing, too, if I can. Mm -hmm. We got to create safe spaces mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. our young people to heal through trauma. I was just reading at Krauss School to a kindergarten class. Our baby's only five years old. We're reading a story about a frog and his family. And the baby sitting right next to me just broke out in tears because her dad is incarcerated, right? Our babies are carrying heavy burdens and weight yes, every single day. Mm -hmm. We gotta create safe spaces. Who are talking to our young people? Mm -hmm. Who are helping our young babies through grief? Yeah. I wanna add this, you know, I work with elementary all the way up to, to individuals who are incarcerated. The mental health discussion amongst young people has become cool now. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we realize that, but it's, it's growing rapidly on social media. It's growing rapidly in conversations in your DMs, um, in school classrooms. The challenge is that we don't understand their language. Mm -hmm. And language matters to young people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So while we use the terms that we use um, from books and school, it's just unrelatable. And we're keep, we, keep do, we keep saying this, like we gotta invite them to the table. My young people would say, we got our own table, y'all need to come to our table. <laughs> and so I think when we, when we embrace that, that it may not be the way that you healed or it may not be the conversation that you had, mm -hmm. but young people are crying out for help. And the sad thing is they're getting help from one another without the professional you know, um, mm -hmm. uh, oversight that is needed. So we gotta start training our young people more about mental health, what that field looks like, and letting them know that you don't necessarily have to have a degree to help save somebody's life or to keep somebody on the right track, but you can point them in the right direction. Mm -hmm. But that comes from us going to them and listening to a conversation or to language that we may never, ever understand. Amen, amen. And can I, I was just gonna add this, that even coming into this year, I was looking at our organization and I said, most of the people that we touch and talk to, honestly, are 40 and above. And um, my niece did a TikTok about, you know, I told you, I told them, y'all coming to this family dinner every month, I'm gonna see y'all. And so she did a TikTok about it and it just, like a light bulb went off. And, I, and so then I asked someone that's in like the marketing field, I said, do you think it would, is it okay for like an organization like ours to hire a young person to kind of follow yes. us around, begin to do TikToks, because I think yes. the other reason why, correct, correct, there's a table here, they're saying here's our table, but I think maybe sometimes they might not see a space for them at the table. It's like if you come to the table and all the seats are filled, you're not sure if they want to move the chairs around to make room for you. So that was just something that we're starting this year, and I thought, well, if young people are spending all day on TikTok, then let's start doing TikToks that speak to them yeah. about this is what's happening, this is what's coming, and it's something that you at 20 or 21 or 18 or 17 or 16 could be involved in. That was just my personal thought. Yeah. Um, yeah. For me personally, um, I can say 
I have been invited to the table, which was greatly appreciated. Um, and things did get kind of emotional. And I did appreciate the fact that the people in the room gave us that space to voice our, our feelings because there are frustrations and hurt feelings mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. senses of abandonment there. And for us to come to the table, hard conversations are gonna be had from all sides. Um, because like you stated once again, there, there is grief, um, generational grief. Um, so yeah, I mean like there's gonna be hard conversations and um, we appreciate that, that our emotions were not interpreted as disrespect. And even for me, I'm, I'll be 35 later this month, so I don't necessarily consider myself a young person. Um, but I try to keep that in mind for even my children. Um, mm -hmm. And younger people, like, the way that you communicate may not always be the way that we communicate. Mm -hmm. And um, the way you express your emotions might not always be the way that you express your emotions. Like, even over this summer, a lot of times with a lot of the actions, sometimes uh, Ray was not always in agreement, as well as other people in the community, uh, with the way that we chose to protest. Um, but he still was there. They still supported us. And that's, I mean, that's really what we need to see is that even if you don't agree that we have your support and you are going to back us regardless. Um, so that's good. Mm -hmm. Amen. Um, how many more questions on this side? One. Just one? Okay. Two? All right, let's take them together. We'll get them both at the same time and get responses. So come on. So really, it was kind of kind of on that same topic and talking about like I love the conversation we've been having about building relationships, especially intergenerational, intergenerational, right? You know, I look at the organizations that we have in Akron. A lot of the way we build relationships, especially in the Black community, are through institutions like the Black Church, like the NAACP, like the Urban League, right? But so much of these organizations are just stuck with people who are 45, 50, and up nowadays, right? And there's no way to kind of like bridge that gap. And so like in 2023, you know, what does that look like? You know, I'm 27 in this in this city, right? And like. I tell you, there are just not young folks who are involved in, this organization, in these organizations, right? I go to these places and I'm trying to network people who are 50, you know? And it's like, and it's just a different kind of relationship building, right? It's like, what does that sort of thing look like in 2023? Do these institutions need to adapt, right? And some of these institutions are over 100 years, right? The NAACP, I mean, these organizations have been around for so long, right? And so how do we kind of, you know, bridge that gap? So you want an answer to how do we, how do we deal with that in 2023? And, and, your, and the next question, we're going to take them both. Go ahead, please. Sorry, I'm a little short. Um, I didn't really prepare, like, but I just wanted to get some of the things off my chest. Um, and I know I'm about to shift the conversation, I'm sorry, but like with what the radicals are saying and how um, it almost feels as though black people are kind of not being beat up on, but like, watch your character. You know, we need to act in love and all this peace, and, and I agree. But if we look at how the city has been treating us, it's like an abusive relationship. Yeah, and um, with an abusive relationship, people will say, oh, you need to love them better to get them to stop beating you up. No, you got to love them different, and that'll fix it. And it's like, when we've been doing everything we can, I don't want to hear, oh, you got to come with love, and you got to speak on, you know, like you have to treat them away so that you can get treated away. And so for me, I just want to know, like, even in Akron right now, you hear like the police are hiring, they're having a hiring crisis, but they haven't said one thing about changing the policy. You could have fixed the hiring crisis immediately if you said we're going for, you know, 
revolutionary change. We're going to try and fix the country or whatever. But, like, we see all of these things happening, and it seems to be following the same line of logic that we have had in the past. It's like we're going in the same direction, and we're not really making any movement. Like, we're on a treadmill, and we're not moving. So I was trying to think, what can we do that can make an actual shift? Because some of the things we're saying is like, you know, we need to buy better. Mm. But people talk about we don't, our money doesn't bounce in our communities because all of our businesses aren't getting funded the way other businesses are being funded. Right. How are we supposed to bounce, you know, six, seven times when you got one business to go to? You know, so it's like, it seems like the burden has been placed more on us because we are the people under the, the uh, oppressive system. And dear, I just can, I speak to to that? can I speak to that? Because uh, I've been in the church for all my life. Mm -hmm. I'm 70 years old. And I've watched the church that I grew up in send women back home to be beat. Mm. Mm. Saying, just go on back over there and pray that God will deliver you. And that's definitely not what we're saying. We are saying that you ought to take resistance, a resistant action, and move in your health. Not that you ought to just go over there and get beat or you ought to just walk away. Or you ought to take healthy action. The problem is we're, we're trying to be very careful because we live in such a violent society. Somebody may take what we're saying and go over there and shoot somebody. Now, not only, I'm not talking about what you did to them, you've ruined your own life. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to see that happen. Number two, we have not talked about this today, and I'm sure maybe you talked about it before I got here, so I'm not sure. White folks will use our violence as a way to bring violence against us. Mm -hmm. We have to be careful when you want to enter that kind of battle unless you got the, the firepower to fight it. And so I don't, my thing is, I don't want any of our people hurt. But we're going to fight, we're going to resist, whatever. So I, I, I hear you, I agree with you. This is not about since we've been beat, just let's go home and let's just take it and let's, uh, now I've had to tell women, don't go back home. Don't tell your friends and nobody else where you're going. Yep. Empty every bank account you got. Walk out, and he can't find you. Yeah. Okay? And I've also seen folks that I wasn't counseling do that and get killed. Right. Right. So this is dangerous. We're talking, we're on dangerous ground here. Oh, absolutely. And we want to make sure that you're safe, but you're absolutely right. We're not blaming the victim. We are a people, as has been said by my brother here and a number of people, we are a people that are so traumatized, so enslaved, so beat down, that we're good to be here. So we celebrate the fact that we are still here. And we want to, as my brother down here said, not only do we want to survive, we want to thrive. Mm -hmm. We're tired of simply surviving. We want to thrive. Is that making any sense to anybody? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Amen. We want to do better than that. Can Thank I just you. I want to add real quick to, to your statement. You know, 
fighting it on the ground is one thing, but fighting it in a structural, political sense is another. Right now, today, as we were gathered here, you had a mayor's debate at a whole nother location. Yeah. Talk about priorities, right? Mm -hmm. So you all have a chance, just like with issue 10, to upset the system by bringing people together with your same passion and questioning the people that are asking for your vote. And we got to stop doing this, y'all, by uh, voting for people because they're Democrat or Republican right. mm -hmm. and start yeah. looking at issues and holding people accountable, accountable to the things that we want to see changed. Right. And this right now is your opportunity to do it because you are approaching an election season. So pull that, that energy together, that motivation together, and that movement together to strategize and mobilize so that you can change the political structure that is oppressing you. Yeah, when we're talking about love, um, I'm not, I'm not at least for me, I'm not necessarily talking about um, love my neighbor or um, love the police or I'm talking about love myself mm -hmm. um, that allows for me to hear you, that allows for us to come together and create a new system. I don't believe in this system at all. Um, but I can't, I can't change the system by myself. And I can't change the system if people are not participating in the current system. Um, so we have to get people to participate in the current system or identify the problems in the current system to be able to create a different system. Um, and I think that goes along, along the lines of the first question about organizations. Um, we have to stop running organizations and going to organizations based on a budget that they raise. Um, I'm an organization. Um, um, that's, been in or, that's been in operation for three years. Um, and we're at about a $1.5 million budget. Um, we started out at zero with, with me knocking on doors and some volunteers um, knocking on doors. Um, and through those efforts, we were able to make some changes in our community, like ensuring that AMHA let formerly incarcerated people move in right after they get out of prison. Um, and through those efforts, um, we were able to raise money to hire people. Uh, um, and to that point of hiring people and, 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 and working with volunteers, those volunteers were young. Um, and if anybody been in my office, um, you know I either say yes or why. Young people come to me and say, we should be doing this. I say, go do it or why? And what's the next step? And what happens after that? Great. I very rarely come up with any ideas. Because I'm 46 years old. I've been doing this work for 15, I don't have any new ideas. But I have to create a space for people to come in with ideas that they can run with. The thing is, if you have an idea, that idea can't get off if you can't build a team. You can't build a team if you don't like yourself, if you don't love yourself, mm -hmm. that allows you to listen to other people. One thing about leadership, when you get into leadership, nobody cares about what you think. They care about do you hear them. Right. Right. See, we get into leadership to talk and get our ideas out. I'm up here because I'm the presenting sponsor, and they made me be up here. I got Zombie up here. I had Lauren up here earlier. I, have, I, got, I got a meeting after this, a strategic planning meeting after this, and a strategic planning meeting after that. Right. I don't have time to be here. When we got young people like Zombie and Lauren that can be here, leadership is about loving self enough to bring other people into the fold so we can change the current system that we're living in. And I'm an abolitionist. I don't believe in incarceration at all. I believe people make mistakes and those mistakes should not be criminalized. 
I believe that a tail light should not be something that our community is raising money off of. <laughs> People's tail lights are out for one or two reasons. They didn't know or didn't have money to fix it. Right. Period. Um, so, so I hope that answers both questions. Uh, to, the first, to the first gentleman. Yeah, please. We ought to be having, we ought to be mentoring as many people as we can. Most of the time, we are sitting holding on to the power because we don't want to let it go because it's a part of our identity. But I'm mentoring as many young people as I can. As a matter of fact, I'll just give you an example. The other day, we were having a meeting, and I spoke up for one of my mentees and said, if you mess with her, now you're going to have a problem with me. And before I could get out of the door, folks were stopping me. I ain't your mentee. I'm like, gee, my God. Okay, because there are a lot of people I'm touching that need mentoring, but you can't mentor them without the proper relationship. And I, I just want to add, you know, because it is being streamed, that if there are 18 and older, or even younger, but mostly 18 and older, young people who say, I want to be a part of this or that table, I want to encourage them to go, make that phone call, pick up the phone, ask if there's room at the table, because Bishop is correct. Some people are holding on to the power, and then there's other folk like me doing the countdown right. going, can somebody come and take this baton? Because I'm letting it go, either way it go, in about three years, I'm done with it. So I just want to encourage them to come, because people, organizations, they're looking for young people. They will welcome your voice to the table, so just be brave. Step out there, call them. Amen. Amen. Let's do this in the interest of time, and all great responses. We've got, I think, five people at the mic. So this is what we want to do. We're going to take all the questions at once. A question, please as opposed to a statement, direct question. I'm gonna ask the panelists if a question resonates with a particular panelist they think they can answer. When we get them all, I'm gonna call on you to answer that question. So if she has a question you can answer, just put your finger up, I know that's your question. All right, and then we'll go through the questions. Yes, ma'am, please. All right, um, in a lot of liberation movements, one of the things that happen is that we sometimes accidentally leave people at the margins. Um, so we leave people in black liberation spaces. Historically, we've seen women be left out in a lot of spaces. We've seen queer people be left out in a lot of spaces, disabled people, so on and so forth. So my question to this panel is how are you all intentionally building in space for the people that we usually forget? Okay, so, so we'll get somebody to answer that. Yes, ma'am. Sorry if I sound a little shivery, I'm a little iron, but um, nonetheless, I'm here in representation of the African Caribbean community in Puerto Rico, and I'm sharing a lot of the issues here, um, also in representation of Rob um, McClendon for running for city council at large. Shout out to him. Um, I just want to know, you know, because I'm sharing all of these social issues uh, via uh, my web platforms and social media. Is that something that interests you guys to kind of expand these issues that are being discussed today globally to okay. all different kind of communities? Okay, we got that one too. We'll get that. Thank you. Uh, yes, my brother. Okay, real quick. I wrote it down. Uh, and this is for you specifically. Uh, I was just wondering, uh, and I, I'm sorry, I didn't, I know it's past or something. Past early. Okay, go ahead. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> um, 
Uh, who put your review council in their seats? Like, how did Cleveland choose who got to sit down and rule over okay. uh, the police force's actions? Um, and the other one is for anybody else. How are the appointments going to be voted on and filled by city council and the mayor when there are officers that are holding seats currently that plan on leaving uh, and vacating seats and other officers that are planning on moving forward and running for other things? Okay. Um, you mean officers on the commission? No, like city council. Oh, city council, official. I got you, got you. Okay, yes, ma'am. Hi. Um, so I'm, my question is actually kind of related to the, the question that was about uh, in, how are you going to invite and bring in uh, more marginalized people who are in the black community that feel um, like cast out by the black community, um, especially with the, the queer community, uh, black trans people, uh, black LGBTQ youth, um, and black people that know who they are but are not Christian. Because I okay. know that there are some seats, I can't speak for all seats, but there are some seats that are empty here today because they do not feel welcome because of differences in religious beliefs. Well, well, well to be clear, I, 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 don't, I, I doubt that because this was not billed as a religious event, but I, I understand the spirit of the question. So let's start with that. How do we reach those on the margins and involve the marginalized? Well, for, for me, uh, for those that don't know the Freedom Block, um, you can go to our website, www.thefreedomblock.org, 848 West Exchange Street, Akron, Ohio. Um, we fight for the liberation of freedom of black people, um, whether you're queer, trans, straight, uh, whatever you want to call yourself, however you identify yourself, um, we service black people. Um, and when I say black people, I don't mean that to exclude white people. I'm really saying black people to include poor people, poor white people. Um, and that's the way that our organization runs. Um, and in order to understand um, that I, I'm also inclusive of white people, you have to come through my doors to see that. Um, because we don't talk about black people in a, in a prejudiced way to exclude white people. We talk about it in a way to help them understand that for all intents and purposes, you are black. Um, you are poor, you are left out, you are castigated. Um, this is mainly for the people that don't know the Freedom Block, because um, those two people that spilt, spoke, and a lot of people in here know us, and know that you can come into our office mm -hmm. um, and see black, white people, trans, queer, um, and everything. Um, we have to be receptive to people. <laughs> like, we are human beings. The way, the reason why we can be killed with, with impunity is that we don't look at each other as human mm -hmm. beings. Yeah. Black, Block is a human being organization. So if you are a human being, come to our organization. And if you don't fit, we will find you a place to go because everybody's not going to fit in the Freedom Block, the NAACP, and that's fine. But I'm going to tell you now that we work with everybody in the city. Don't mean that everybody works with us, but we work with everybody in the city. Mm -hmm. All right. We had um, Sunday, my sermon was on. Uh, in, in, in for Dr. Martin Luther King Sunday, moving into it, my sermon was on ableism, on disability, mm. an area that we almost always mm. never, touch, never touch, never talk about. Yeah. But the Lord has called us to speak for people who have no voice. Amen. That's going to take in a lot of people. As my brother said, you, sometimes you can't be all things to all people. Right, right. 
but we want to be as inclusive as we possibly can be. And by working together, and I'm working with a number of these folks up here, we can provide resources, relationship resource, resilience that can, it may not be me, but it can be somebody up here. We can find somebody in the community to get, what you, get you what you need. Amen. The next question um, our sister asked about the global reach, whether it was that something we're interested in. Anybody want to address that specifically? I know the answer is yes, but. Yes, we, we, we not only the global reach though, but also just the, the citywide reach, the state reach, the national reach. We have a, a, a communications issue in the movement. We have a communications issue when it comes to good news. Um, so we need, we need all the, every event that I have, I try to include podcasters and, and, and journalists um, um, that are not mainstream. Um, because we, we have a communications problem. You don't know the good work that Bishop Joy Johnson is doing because we don't have a communications team. To, you just know he's a bishop of one of the largest churches in the Akron, which means he's probably against us. And that's just the way that it's portrayed and the way you think. He's, he's, he has a meeting with the mayor, and we, and we look at that. But you don't, you're not in the meetings to understand that he's trying to push the needle forward. And that's because the beacon is not going to cover that. But the right. beacon is going to highlight him when, he, when he's holding us accountable. So when he's holding us accountable in a beacon journal, and that's the only time you hear him speaking, then you think he's demeaning us. Yeah. And that's not what it is. We need you and all your friends to come to a meeting or all the meetings so we can start putting together. And I got a strategic planning that I'm going to present something like that tonight at this strategic planning meeting. We have a communications problem. People call us to do all types of things that we don't do. Right. <laughs> we have a communications problem. And yes, we need to go global, but we first need to go citywide, countywide, statewide, national, and then global, and you are a big part of that. So, so you, say, you, say, you say you were Caribbean? Yeah, so, so the, the other thing, too, is folks have got, we've got to begin to understand that what's happening to us here in Akron is happening in every city, every single, wherever people of color are, and those who are in the Caribbean, because there's this trolling movement now uh, that is trying to divide black folk even further. Right, right. Trying to downplay Pan-Africanism even. There you go. That's a troll. And these, a lot of the stuff we saw on social media, y'all, ain't us. A lot of fake accounts. The only reason I'm not Jamaican and Ray isn't Bahamian is because our ancestors were dropped off on the boat a little bit later. So we need to get over that. And, you know, we just, you know, my son plays baseball. We just had the World Series. And what was the big headline? There were no African-Americans in the World Series. But check this out. Bishop Joe, I know, remembers this. When Roberto Clemente and those brothers were alive, they called themselves black. They considered themselves black. None of the dark-skinned brothers, darker than me, from the DR, said, wait a minute, I'm considering myself black. Why? Because they are educated now. Don't associate with black folk. That's the folk that the police kill. Don't associate. Puerto Ricans don't associate with black people. So, yes, we must have a global struggle where there is unity in that regard. But it goes back to that piece of being educated, right? Right. About how... And, and to tie in, as parents particularly, how we see education to go beyond what, what happens within the four rooms of the classroom right. and beyond the, 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 the course of a school day or a school year. Education, to quote John Dewey, education is not preparation for life, it is life itself. Mm. 
That's right. right? That's right. So that when we think about education and those kinds of things, the experiences that we have, taking our children up to Huff, learning that kind of stuff. Because you find all that stuff that happened in Huff, where they get, well, say get where, well, where they get their resources, let me say it like that. They got it from Akron after the, the, the rooster uh, uh, revolt. We are more connected than we often know. We talk about the, the civil rights movement as if it was not a part of the African liberation movement that, that went right. across the globe. That's right. Dr. King went to Ghana. March 4th, 1957, Dr. King was in that crowd when Kwame Nkrumah was talking. Um, uh, Malcolm X was in that crowd. Ralph Abernathy was in that crowd. But also, when you think about where, does, where did Nkrumah spend some time? That's right. Lincoln University. That's right. Here, he spent some time walking through Harlem, listening to Garvey, listening to the great debate. And, and so much of the, what we are doing here, even this notion of to what extent are we really a part of this community? What extent do we need to establish something altogether new? To what extent am I really committed to being a part of this system or creating a new system? You, that was, that was uh, 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 oh, what's the brother's name? Um, the Mason, the, the, um, the, the black Masons. Uh, but he had the first. Prince Hall? Prince Hall, I'm sorry, yeah. Prince Hall, Mother Bethel, right. uh, 1838, they had a black national convention. They had a black national convention uh, 18-something after Cincinnati. And you go back and read through some of that stuff. It's the same conversation. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it may, if we're disconnected, if we don't have the knowledge, it may seem that somehow or another there's not been movement. Right. But when you read and understand the history, you see, Amen. yes, should there, should, do we need to be further along? Of course. But the struggle has produced. Right. Mm -hmm. And we should acknowledge that struggle, be strengthened by that, but also be challenged because there's far more that needs to be done. Need to be done. That's right. That's right. But a part of, and go back to rights, this, 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 this idea of how does development go? There's a matrix of energy, safety, and potential. If we don't recognize that the potential, the things have already happened, then our development won't take place. Yeah. Right? So we have to be challenged both by the history, teach it so that we can know it, be inspired by it, recognize what has actually been done, but also use that as motivation and challenge to keep us to move forward. Right, right. Um, the last question on uh, Pastor Early one, how were the members of the commission chosen? So the commission was chosen by um, um, citizens and leaders in the city, um, and then they were recommended to the mayor um, and then city council, and Good. then that's where the picks came from from there. All community-driven, um, the name of the organization is uh, Citizens for Safer Cleveland. Yeah. Um, you can look them up and connect with them, and they'll, they'll walk you through that process as well. Amen. All right. All right real quick, uh, council person, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that the applications closed for the Citizen Review Board on the 24th of this month. Yep. 
So mm, anybody interested, please put your application in immediately. Um, the more of us that do put our applications in, the higher a chance to have people that are in this room and people of this mindset. So, yeah. And city council is under a tight deadline too. I mean, that's y'all got a lot of pressure. But let me say this though to activists and organizers, this is really a good position for you to apply for. I've done over 20 years of activism and what I always wanted to see is us move from protesting to policy. Mm -hmm. And so if you have been out there on the front lines, your work is not done. And you may not be chosen, but somebody with the same like mind or voice of you is chosen. This is your opportunity to right. get to the table and affect policy, not just protest, but right. also policy. That's right. That's right. Um, what, you wanna... Very good. Just one thing I just wanted just to just to echo, because I want us not to get complacent. You know, we we we, we had a win with issue 10 and, and I'm excited about the Citizens Review Board. But we know that's one <laughs> key puzzle piece. Right? We got to continue to put in more measures so that we can make sure that the Citizens Review Board will truly be effective, right? We got to continue to be thinking about how we can make our police force be more proactive, right? Mm -hmm. We shouldn't just be reacting when things happen, but working on putting measures in place now so that we can build some bridges between police and community. We can make sure that our police force is more representative of our community. You know, those are things that we have to continue to work on now in this moment as well. Amen. And I want to thank Kyle for that, for that plug. Um, I just invited everybody to the Freedom Block. I will say this, um, if you come to the Freedom Block, be ready to work. Um, everything we do is about leadership development. It's about creating policies. Those policies create positions like this Issue 10 board. We're not just out marching in the street. We're developing leaders yes, to sir. replace the current ineffective leaders that we have. Um, so you, you, you come and you learn and you also prepare yourself to be on the civilian review board. You prepare yourself to run for office. Yeah. You prepare yourself to contend for jobs at the United Way, who's a staple in our community, Community Foundation, who's a staple in our community. And you prepare yourself to take those ideas of poor people, black people to those tables so we can see change and we can create something that's new, that's right. for us by us, um, right. but we have to be trained. And when I say trained, I don't mean spending $70,000 at Akron U or some other college. I mean coming and understanding how these systems work. Yeah. And what you learn in those institutions is how to be a part of that system and not how to challenge right. that system. And that's why I want people to join these organizations and be active. We've got we've to wrap up. Just, just real quick though, Pastor Porter, repeat what you said. I want us to hear that again about what, how grief is transmitted. If we yes. give us that quote again, please, real yes, quick. Yes, the quote is, uh, pain that is not transformed will be transmitted. And so we hope through 18 eight-week grief recovery method classes offered in Summit County on every side of town, north, south, east, west, Barberton, Fairline, Cuyahoga Falls, Stowe, there's going to be a class coming near you. Go to Love Akron. I tell people I love chicken and I love chocolate and I love Akron. You'll remember that forever. Loveakron.org and you'll see the grief recovery link there. It is absolutely free to residents of Summit County, Akron surrounding. And remember, grief is what? Any unmet expectations. Any unmet expectations. It is a loss of any kind.
Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yep, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. We are grieving the unmet expectations of justice for Jalen Walker. The pain of his assassination has not been transformed. And so we must do all we can to seek justice so that we can heal. Seeking justice is a form of healing. Mm -hmm. Receiving pain constantly and taking it in is not the answer. We must act and do. Um, as we get ready to applaud this panel, I'm going to ask Bishop Joy to pray for this family as we close. Pray for Pamela Walker. Pray for Jada Walker. Pray for the entire family. Uh, and we're going to extend our hands then. Before we do that, though, please give this panel a round of applause. And let us be prepared. We must brace for what is going to happen. We pray for the best, but we must be prepared for the worst and continue to seek justice. Thank you all for being here. If we all would extend our hands to this family, where you are, Bishop Johnson. And now our most gracious and heavenly Father, we pray for this family that you would do for them what no one else can do. That you would walk with them. You promise I'll never leave you nor will I ever forsake you. Walk with them in ways that we cannot, in times that we cannot heal, deliver, lift up, encourage, prepare them for all that they have to face. And we thank you for keeping them thus far. Yes. And we look forward to what you're going to do in their lives as you continue to move in a healing way in their life. We pray about the verdict that's coming. We pray about everything that's going on because we believe that prayer changes things. Yes. We pray it now. We believe it. We call it done in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.